If you have your Bibles today with you, turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter this morning as I preach a message in just a moment. Titled, Live Like Jesus is Coming Back. Live Like Jesus is Coming Back. I, I appreciate some of you helping me out in the comments when I asked you hear the audio. I'm trying a different audio setup today and a microphone that I think is going to give us a little better sound. And so thank you for helping me with that. Thank you, Brother Everett and Miss Peggy, Felicia, Shane, Rob, Miss Carol. Thank you all for being willing to come and uh, give me somebody to preach to, uh, but also really the reason you're here is to lead us in worship. You've done a magnificent job of that. Thank you for that. Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to focus primarily on verses 10 through 18. I remember as a child, I think, I want to say my mom told me this, but if I'm being honest, she probably told my brother this more than me. But I remember as a child listening to a conversation between my mother and my brother, and my brother was wanting to go to a particular concert that wasn't all that bad, but we were preacher's kids, and you know how that usually works for preacher's kids. And, and I remember mom asking him the question, and she said, Jason, is that where you would want to be if Jesus came back? If Jesus came back, is that where you would want him to find you? And of course, I, I don't remember his answer to that question, but I'm almost certain it wasn't yes. <laughs> the text this morning, in this text, Peter is encouraging believers to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. That the reality of the second coming of Christ should cause us to want to be and strive to be more obedient, not less. More holy in our walk with Him, not less. You have a little context before I read the passage and begin preaching. Second Peter was written to first century Christians living in a variety of locations, primarily through the areas of what would be modern-day Turkey and Egypt. Most likely, the intended audience was a combination of Jews and Gentiles. There's three primary purposes that Peter is writing this letter for. He wants to alert them to the dangers of false teachers. And in the passage, if you read all of the book, it wouldn't take you but a few minutes to read it all. It's not very long, but if you also read all of chapter 3, you'll see that one of the characteristics of false teachers that Peter points out is they will be trivial or joke or even mocking about the doctrine of the second coming. That'll be something that false teachers will scoff at. Also, the second purpose of his letter is to remind them that personal faith should not remain static that we should grow in our walk, we should grow in our sanctification, we should grow in our holiness. And a third purpose of this letter is to encourage believers in their faith to be expectant of Christ's second coming. 
And that'll be the focus of our text today. I've tried each week to prayerfully bring you a timely message during this crisis that we're in. I won't speak specifically to viruses or pandemics or economic issues and other issues that we're seeing. I won't speak to those specifically today. But I will say this. I believe this pandemic, this whole crisis, has caused many of us to consider the second coming of Christ. Many have asked, many unbelievers have even asked, is this the end of the world? And is it? Most likely it's not. But times like these where our normal flow and routine of life are interrupted does cause us to consider and to think about the reality that one day, whether it's God calls us home first or Christ returns, one day our routines and all of the ways that we carry on are going to be permanently interrupted. Now, we hope this interruption right now is temporary, and I believe it is. But one day, life as we know it is going to come to an end. And one day, in this text, as you'll see, this world, as it exists in its current state, is going to end. Now, let's read the text. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now that's the heart of the sermon today. That's, that's what I built the title around and the main idea around. He directly connects there in his writing the fact that one day Christ is coming back. The earth as we know it will be utterly destroyed. Now there's Christians, you can relax because there's going to be a new one. We'll read about that in just a moment. But the connection there between the second coming, the destruction of this present fallen world, and our personal holiness. Don't miss that because that's what this sermon is all about. Because Christ is coming, because there's a day of the Lord coming, because there's a day of judgment coming, we ought to be holier people. We ought to be growing in our walk with Christ. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nonetheless, or nevertheless, we, according to his promise. Now this is Christians. This is those who are saved. According to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In verses 3 and 4, if you were to read back, I did not read those verses, but in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3, Peter acknowledges that scoffers will make fun of this doctrine. That's what it means to scoff, to mock, to, to make fun of. That there will be people that do not take the doctrine of the second coming seriously and will even mock it. 
There are many today that do just this. They mock Christians for believing that one day Christ will literally return. I've heard many professing Christians even unsure and some flat out deny this doctrine. Peter makes it clear how dangerous this is. How risky it is. How prepared we must be for Christ to come back. And he says that he's coming back like a thief that breaks in at an unexpected moment. That Christ will return when people least expect him to do so. And there's three events that Peter describes here that will accompany the return of Christ. One, he says the heavens will be dissolved. This will be a cataclysmic, visible, loud event. Nobody's going to miss this. No, no, nobody's going to accidentally overlook this. This is going to be cataclysmic and catastrophic in every way. He also says the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be destroyed by burning and by fire. This is a physical, burning, hot destruction of planet Earth. Now, if we don't read any further, that sounds pretty gloomy. But the good news for every Christian is there's going to be a brand new one. There's going to be a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And I want you to think for a moment. I don't know if I have any skeptics listening or unbelievers. If I do today, you're welcome here and I'm glad you've tuned in. And I hope you'll consider some of the truths of the gospel and God's word today. I don't know in what manner that God would choose to do this. We know that it's going to be hot and we know that it's going to be fire, but have you ever thought about how easy it would be for God to do this? I'm not a scientist, but I have studied a lot of history. I teach history. And one of the topics that I teach every year is the atomic bomb that was used in World War II. Two bombs, one dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. The technology that developed those bombs come from scientific theories that revolved around the energy contained in atoms. Now, you may remember a little bit about atoms, A-T-O-M-S, that everything is atomic, everything is made up of atoms. The technology and the scientific inquiry and theory that led to us having these devastatingly destructive weapons today comes from the reality, it's a reality now, it was a theory once, but it's a reality now, that in atoms are massive amounts of energy. And when that energy is split, those atomic particles release catastrophic amounts of energy. I couldn't help but thinking as I prepared this message that all God has to do for this to happen is to sovereignly release all of the energy that's in every atomic particle that's part of everything on this earth. God could do this in a moment. And he's not done it yet because he's patient and he's graceful and he's loving and he's kind and he desires that you come to repentance. He desires that you be saved and trust in him. That's why he hasn't destroyed the earth just yet. But what I want to preach on for the next few minutes 
is how should we live in light of the second coming of Christ? How should the second coming of Christ impact our lives? If we go back to verse 11 where I paused a moment ago to emphasize, because Christ is coming back, we should be holy. Because Christ is coming back, we should be holy. He says in verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, because Christ is coming back, the fact, the doctrine of his second coming should encourage us, should be a factor in our growth of sanctification. I want to speak concerning sanctification for just a minute. There's three things about sanctification that's important to remember. One, sanctification. Now, before I go further, let me explain that term. Sanctification is simply our growth, our progress, our, our, our growth in Christ-likeness and holiness. One, sanctification is positional. I want, I want you to understand this before I say anything else. Anyone that is saved, truly saved, if you truly know Christ, you are in an eternal position of safety. When writing to the church at Ephesus, Paul told them to consider themselves already seated in heavenly places. So one element of our sanctification is positional. It comes from our justification in Christ. It comes from what Christ has done, what he has accomplished. In other words, what I'm saying, positional sanctification means that nothing can pluck us from the hand of God. But secondly, I want you to consider sanctification is progressive. We grow over time. Hopefully, we're growing in our walk with Christ. And what Peter is saying here is that the fact that Christ is coming back should cause us to grow and uh, encourage us to grow. And he's not talking of a self-righteous, unchrist-like attitude here. He's not talking about being sanctimonious. He's not describing a person that says, oh, look at me. Please look at how righteous and holy and perfect that I am. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying the fact that Christ is coming back, the fact that this earth is going to be destroyed and all things made new uh, should compel us from the heart to, to strive to be holy and more like Christ. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, there's not going to be sin. Gossip will not exist there. Slander will not exist there. Drunkenness and addiction will not exist there. Hurt feelings will not not be there. Sexual immorality will not be there. Much of the sin that we cling to, all of the sin that we cling to, none of that will be present in the new heaven and the new earth where Christ will dwell and we will dwell with him eternally. And so there's this aspect of the more sin that I put off and the more holiness that I put on, I'm in essence growing and striving toward meeting Christ face to face in this new heaven and new earth because a lot of those sins that I'm tempted to cling to and fall into, they're not going to be there. 
And so many times the doctrine of Christ's second coming, it, it causes fear. And if you're an unbeliever, it is a day to fear. But it's a fear that you don't have to have if you will put your faith and trust in Christ and Him alone. There's been a lot of movies made about this doctrine. But what Peter's saying here for the Christian is the doctrine of Christ's second coming should cause us to be holier. So sanctification is positional. It's progressive. So I ask you and challenge you, and I challenge myself, knowing that I'm justified in Christ, knowing that nothing and no one can take me from the hand of God, am I using that as an excuse to be lack and lazy in my growth, or am I compelled from a heart of love for Christ to be holier each and every day? And sanctification is also participative. We participate in our sanctification. Now, there are some things we don't participate in. We didn't participate in our justification per se. You trusted in Christ. You called upon the name of the Lord, yes. But everything that had to be done for you to be saved and forgiven and cleansed and one day resurrected from the dead to eternal life, everything that had to be done to accomplish that, Jesus did that. But our growth in Christ is something we also strive in. Philippians 2 verse 12, a, a verse that's often misunderstood. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not a verse that's telling us to save ourselves. We cannot do that. But it's telling us there is an aspect to our growth and our sanctification in Christ that we're not to be passive in, but we're to pursue holiness. If you were to go to the doctor and the doctor would tell you, you have a terminal illness that will one day be very serious. We're going to do everything we can to treat it. But the doctor says, you would prolong your life and do yourself a tremendous good if you would help us by exercising, eating right, and taking care of yourself. So you have this joint effort that would be required. The doctor's going to do what he can or she can for me. But it's going to do tremendous amount of good for me to participate in the treatment process by exercising, eating right, and taking care of myself? Or would you just sit back and say, I'm just going to let the doctor do what the doctor can do, and I'm going to be lazy, and I'm going to eat whatever I want, and I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care what that doctor says. It's his job to get me well, and I'm not going to do anything. Probably wouldn't work out very well for you. God has saved you if you are saved, and nothing can change that. But as Christians, we are called and commanded to be conformed to the image of Christ. I am a grace preacher. I love to proclaim the message of grace. We are saved by grace alone. We are saved by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, 
But please let us never allow grace to be an excuse to be unholy and unrighteous. If we really are longing to meet Christ, then we will long to be holier and to be more righteous. If you were told tomorrow that you're going to meet the President of the United States or the Queen of England or someone very dignified and very well known, chances are you would clean yourself up you would get ready and dress in the nicest clothes you have. You would prepare yourself to meet that person that's famous and well-known and powerful and dignified. You would prepare yourself to stand in their presence. Let's prepare. Let's prepare to be in the eternal presence of Christ by wanting to be holy by wanting to grow in Christ-likeness. There's an old saying, I don't know who to attribute it to, it's so old. It says, I cannot work my soul to save for that my Lord has done, but I will work like any slave for love of God's dear Son. And so I challenge you believers, Christians, Let's be practical. Let's be honest. Those that are listening now, some will listen to this weeks and potentially months later. In this time where God has me a little more still than I probably normally am, most of us, some of you may not be, but in this time where God might have my attention a little more than he normally does, what can I clean up? I know during this time, I've done some cleaning. I've gotten a couple of household projects. It's been time to get some things done I've been meaning to do around the house. Got the carport cleaned up a little bit and some other things. And just, it's a time where I got, let's, let's do some spiritual spring cleaning. Right now, God has our attention in a way that, he, I don't remember another time like this in my life. What can we clean up? What am I allowing into my heart, into my mind, into my life that is unholy? Christ has saved you. If you know him, he did that. You didn't, he did it. But what you can do is pursue a holier walk with Christ. Many times Christians, you know... This is so difficult to preach sometimes because I want you and I want anyone who comes in this church or listens to any sermon I preach, I want you to be confident in your salvation. I want you to know that you know. I want that for you. I don't ever want to give the impression that your salvation is based on anything you do. It's based on what Christ has done. But make no mistake about it. Time and time again in Scripture, an evidence that God has saved you, that the Spirit of God lives in you, is a growth in holiness. 
Do you want that? Do you desire to be holy? Have you become comfortable in sin and rebellion? Have you tolerated sin for so long in your life that your conscience is seared to that sin and you no longer even see it as sin? You've been in that sin so long. You've been cussing so long. You've been drinking so long. You've been living in adultery so long. You've been shacking up for so long. You're not convicted. You've got no conviction at all. If that is true, consider this. That our walk with God should be one of progressive growth toward holiness, not away from it. Because Christ is coming back, we should also be expectant. We should also be expectant. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I've quoted before, the well-known preacher from England, he says this, we can hasten the day by preparing ourselves, by preaching the gospel, by telling others about him. The end will come when the fullness of the Jews will come in, when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, when all will have been gathered in, when all of the routine will have been drawn out of the world. Let us hasten that by preparing ourselves. Let us hasten it by preaching and by supporting missionary work and the work of the church in this land. In fact, by everything we can do to hasten its coming. We hasten the coming of the Lord when we strive to be holy. We hasten the coming of the Lord when we strive to be holy. I want to thank y'all for tuning in today. I hope I can be heard. I've been told, is it the video that went out? Is it still saying we're live? Connecting, okay. It may be just the video, but not the audio. I apologize for that, for the technical difficulties, and uh, we'll work on that and try to make sure that doesn't happen again. But guys, thank you. I love you. I pray you'll consider this text and this message. Let me know how I can minister to you. Worship team, thank you for leading us today. Let's allow the second coming of the Lord to spur us to growth in Christ-likeness. Thank you for worshiping with us today.